Welcome back to Fortitude, everybody. We appreciate those that listen to our show as we realize there are many choices in podcasts. And many of you who have chosen us, we thank you wholeheartedly. It seems these days everybody has a podcast, Brendan. Have you noticed these, this as well? Yes. Uh, maybe not with five listeners like we have, but right, right. perhaps. <laughs> Coach, do you have a podcast? <laughs> I don't have a podcast. Nobody wants to listen to not me. Not yet. Uh, we have Coach Sarlos in-house, um, everyone, and we are very excited to have him here. Before we get to you, Coach, I got to talk a little about the fall weather we're experiencing. Britain, how does the Payne family uh, enjoy this nice, cool weather we're enjoying? Well, we got uh, my eighth graders football game got canceled last night due to lightning. So that is why uh, the nasally allergies aren't uh, coming out as much today because I wasn't sitting out on the bleachers enjoying his, his game oh, good. in the night air. Those of you tuning in, the voice to the right of me is the is the fortitude version of Ken Burns, we like to call sometimes. But Brent <laughs> Payne, you. I'm J.W. Wilson. Uh, thanks for joining us again. Um, we like to talk about this guy across the desk from us, Brent, because he's, he's the brand new, as of about three months ago, the TCU head baseball coach. Welcome to the show, Kirk Sarlos. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. We used to have an applause button, but yeah. I somehow mismanaged the board so much, but... Yeah. I'm actually I'm very impressed with the setup you thank guys you. got. Thank you. Thank you. Even have a surfboard. Oh yeah. And that was actually shaped by a guy named Tim Stamps in Westminster, California, which is not too far from you right that's where another, you That's yeah. another show, Kirk. That, yeah. Right yes. down the 22. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. For sure. All right, Kirk, you were born in Long Beach, California, correct? Yes, sir. Tell us about your childhood growing up and then when baseball hit you. Yeah. So, I grew up uh, like you said in Long Beach, California, born and raised there and uh, my dad played baseball at UCLA. So soon, I, I mean, as early as I can remember, I was playing baseball, throwing the ball with my dad in the backyard. Um, so that was, that was basically my childhood is playing a lot of baseball, a lot of sports, football, soccer, basketball, yeah. uh, but always loved baseball, you mm -hmm. know, all around athlete. I know this to be true. Yeah. I loved when, it. when did you know you were better than others at baseball? You know what? To be honest with you, not till like college, college. Really? Yeah. Cal, yeah, for sure. Cal State Fullerton, correct? Yeah, because I, I mean, I just grew up and was, I played on really good competitive teams, mm -hmm. you know, and so I was always good, but I wasn't always the best player. Yep. And so next thing you know, you just kind of plot, plot along and you get to Cal State Fullerton. My fresh, my freshman year, I stunk, you know, I had like so, a six ERA and then just summer ball and then kind of the next couple of years got a little bit better and then got drafted. And next thing you know, I was in the big leagues. It was like, whoa. Wow. And all of a sudden, I, yeah. you kind of like pull back and go, holy cow, how, how was, did I do that? Did you was, have a sports question, Britton? Yeah, at that time, there <laughs> was so much emphasis on the kids' sports these days, and it's full-time year-round. And I will ask kind of a, a clothing one, too. When I first played, like, baseball, I remember, I recall wearing some jeans or some brown Levi's cords. Was mm. Were you in the pants at that time? You're a little bit younger, but I didn't know when the transition from just... Uh, so you played in jeans? Yeah, it was only for a brief season, but nope. uh, that was never the case nope, with you. Never, I never the case for me. It was a generation thing. <laughs> nope. Just straight <laughs> baseball fans. you're seeing all I have to deal okay. with okay. on a weekly yeah. basis. Yes. All right. <laughs> uh, heavily recruited out of high school? Not really. Not really? I grew up in Long Beach, and Long Beach State is my, you mm -hmm. know, they're in my backyard, and yeah. I never heard from them. You played so. for the legendary George Horton. Uh, as you told me before the show, he's going to the NCAA Hall of Fame here in the next few uh, months, correct? Yeah, he's going in. Uh, in January, when the um, the national convention is always in January, January so yep. he's going to be inducted uh, this January. How was Coach Horton for, to you growing up through that 
Yeah, well, the crazy thing is my dad played at Cerritos College with Coach Horton, and Coach Horton was a left-handed catcher. Hmm. So you probably don't know much, but most catchers are right-handed. <laughs> yes, I, I, <laughs> so, I am familiar. Brent's next, <laughs> next question, Kirk, is yeah. explain baseball. Exactly. <laughs> so he was a left-handed catcher, and they both played for a guy by the name of uh, Wally Kincaid, mm-hmm. who also taught like Augie Garrido. You know, so like the whole West Coast way of baseball came from Wally Kincaid. So it was playing for Coach Horton was like basically kind of the same stuff my dad was teaching me while I was growing up. Oh, yeah. So kind yeah. of just same the same verbiage, the same t- style of baseball. And so mm-hmm. Coach Horton was great just because he's very cerebral. He's very kind of methodical in terms of his the way he talks and also just the way he thinks right. in the game of baseball. So I was always next to him even when I wasn't pitching just to be able to mm-hmm. try and learn more about baseball. So he was a great mentor in terms of just teach me the game of baseball. Surely you played in the college world series mm-hmm. under coach Horton. And so this would translate into some other things in later on in your future, which is very cool. So you had a very successful uh, pitching career at Cal state Fullerton. You were selected in the third round of the 2001 draft by the Astros, where you only spend a year there. So we can start showing some photos of you. This is not the Astros of course, but no gray hair, no gray hair yet. Yes. Yet. Still <laughs> the right. facial hair though. Just yeah, that's the, a bad look. Kind of the Billy goat chin. Yeah, I didn't like thing. that. That was yeah. actually kind of, Semi in style back then, I think. Yeah, bad look right now but for me. Baseball, clearly baseball, baseball pants, pants, not yeah. corduroys or jeans. No jeans. We can give you a baseball Nash, pants. There's your Astros card with the the catcher hel- the, uh, glove on your head. Your yeah. Head. Oh yeah. That was back when I used to chew tobacco. Kids don't chew tobacco. Was this during a rally? Because don't this this happens sometimes during some type of rally where we're trying to win Correct. the game? Yes, but <laughs> that was actually cap. right after batting practice, and for some reason I didn't want to. <laughs> put my glove on my hand. Yeah. <laughs> so I put it on my hat. Maybe Kirk, maybe well, I was just signing <laughs> autographs and I needed that right both hand. Hands. Yes, need both. Need both one hands. to hold, one to sign. That's we right. You. Before we get into your major league career, can we talk about dra- being drafted and what that feels like and how that day went and then were you your first experience in the leagues? Yeah, so the funny stories was the year before I wasn't drafted, right? This was back when the draft wasn't on TV. It was you sat behind your computer, like dial, dial up internet, AOL, you know, you've got mail. Exactly. Yeah. And so you would hear like the, you know, who's ever announcing it going, you know, New York Yankees pick number, whatever. And you're sitting there and, and it was my brother, myself and my dad sitting in the room and it was like pick after pick after pick. And I'm like, man, I'm not going to get picked. Oh, so it used to be 20 rounds on the first day. And I said, well, if I don't get picked in the first day, screw those guys. I'm going back to school and I didn't get picked. You know, I would have signed for way less than I signed the next year if they would have just picked me in the first 20 rounds. Yeah. Yeah. But I was a reliever then. Right. Mm-hmm. So I didn't start until my senior year. Mm-hmm. And um, then things changed significantly. Right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden I played for Team USA the summer before my senior year, which was awesome because now you're playing literally with the best of the best uh, amateur players on that national team. And usually it's reserved for guys that are going to be juniors. Um, but it was me and a couple other guys that were on the team that didn't get drafted and we're coming back to school. So we had a couple seniors on the team. Mm-hmm. And then that was like, to your earlier question, it was kind of like, all right, this is like the best of the best in the country. And like somehow I'm on this team and yeah. I had some success with it. So it propelled me, I think, for my senior year to have a great senior year and then get drafted in the third round. That was cool. I actually didn't know I got drafted because we were uh, we were practicing on the, you know, the couple days prior to going to the World Series. And someone, you know, like I said, there was no Twitter. There was no, you know, information someone mm-hmm. came to the practice and was like hey oh by the way you were drafted in the third round i was like oh cool that's awesome oh, yeah yeah so back to that radio deal was that hard i mean you're sitting there listening and then it come up to the end of it and you're like 
Yeah. Yeah. Or did you just take it as like, okay, I got to work hard. Like what happened in that deal? Yeah. I kind of, in my mind, it was like, well, if they don't think I'm, you know, I mean, how many players there's, I mean, 20 times 30, right? There's 20 rounds. There's 30 players per round. Yeah. You're not a sports guy, but are you a math guy? 600 there is we go. 30. If I'm not somewhere around somewhere there. Somewhere around there. If I'm not one of the best 600 players, well, then screw Major League Baseball. Yeah. I'm going to come back. Yeah. And I, t- I remember telling myself, I'm not, I didn't, I'm not going to pitch for those guys because they obviously don't think I'm good enough. So I'm going to make sure that I'm the best teammate and we're going to get to Omaha. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then it's, it's amazing when you kind of put that perspective and say, I, I'm just, we're, Gonna be the best team we possibly can. Something drives you, and then next thing you know, like the the personal goals also get met when following your team place. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. did you have a plan B if baseball didn't pan out? Yeah, I mean, probably just going to the family business. My my family, my dad, my grandpa, my my uncle, they owned a lawn and garden business. Okay. So probably just would have went into that. You, you know, probably would have surfed option. a little with that older brother too, huh? Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> baseball would have been done, and I would have had a little bit more free free time. So yeah, he probably would have drugged me out to the to the ocean. Yeah. So you you first um you started with the Astros for, and only for a year, correct? Year or two, is it two? So I got drafted in 01 and then got traded in 04. 04 so, so that's a couple three years. Couple three yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, one major thing happened during that time which is is known to like people who know you. You had a you were part of a six pitcher no hitter of the Yankees June 11, 2003. Uh you were the th- um third inning last out in all of the fourth. Mm-hmm. Can you walk us through that a little bit and what that might feel like for those that don't yeah. know sports and those that aren't that good at sports? Yeah, well, I usually what I tell people is I threw a no-hitter in Yankee Stadium. I just don't tell them that there was five other pitchers, five other pitchers. right? <laughs> so what usually, I mean, so Roy Oswalt was a starting pitcher and he blew out his growing. That's hard to do. Yeah, can Very you explain? Painful. Yeah, how does I'm that happen on the mound? Yeah, on yeah. the mound though, right? Yeah, exactly. So he, you know, he he hurt his growing. So Did next you hear thing that you know, terminology on the mound, there was correct. a little. Thank right, you. Right. Okay. I've, so I've he blows out his growing. Blows out down. Of, right. He blows out his growing. So so anytime I was the long reliever then. So me and a guy by the name of Pete Monroe. So as soon as he get he got hurt, Pete and I looked at each other and was like, "Well, it's you or me. I'm not sure which one." So yeah. I think Pete went in first, and then I followed him, and then as soon as soon as we got through that without a hit and we turned it over to like the really good pitchers. Yeah. You know, like Octavio Dotel, Brad Lidge and Billy Wagner. Right, right. Probably like one of the best back end of bullpens in baseball history with those three. Um, then we're like, cause nobody knows and thinks about a no hitter until like the seventh, eighth inning. Mm-hmm. And especially when you have mm-hmm. all these pitchers going. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, everybody knew with the exception of one player on, on, on our team was our second baseman. Jeff Kent had no idea what was happening, right? So we get the final out and everybody's, you know, on the field is jumping around and Jeff Kent looks at bag or Bagel and Biggio and is like, dude, it's just, it, it's just another win. What, what are you guys so excited <laughs> about? And he's like, dude, we look at the scoreboard. It's a no hitter. Yeah. He's like, Oh, look at that. Oh yeah. You know? So does that go in the history books? Yeah. I think there's been one other team, mm-hmm. maybe two now that have done a six pitcher, but yeah. that was the first at the time. Oh yeah. So yeah. that was, that was cool to be a part of. It was, you know, in New York and then my family was in town. So we went out for a good steak dinner. It was, it was a cool night. Yeah, for sure. And Brenton, do you know who, do you know the name Derek Jeter? Does that name ring any bells for you? I am familiar. I am familiar. Who is, who is Derek Jeter to you? Um, he's a baseball player that I'm familiar with. Nailed it. Nailed it. Well, Kirk, we have a little surprise. We want to run this video. You've, you know, this moment that's you pitching. Oh, that's Mr. Derek Jeter swinging and missing, striking out. How about that? Yankee Stadium. Now, is I this the I one that is like, um, married to J-Lo? 
No, that's A-Rod. <laughs> okay, okay. But he did well. For, Derek did well for himself in his dating career, so I don't feel bad for yes. him. He did okay. So yeah. w- what was that experience like? That was actually really cool because I'm not a strikeout guy, right? I don't strike very many people out. More of kind of a pitch-to-contact type of guy. And, I mean, he went in the Hall of Fame, I think, a couple weeks ago. That was uh, one of my... I think I have more people that probably have me in their home run book than I have in my strikeout book. <laughs> yeah. So to have him in there is pretty cool. What pitch was it? It's just a sinker in. Yeah, fastball. Yeah. And you were known for the sinker, right? From yeah. our extensive research team oh, has yeah. decided as if it come up with the fastball, the curveball, slider, change up, but the sinker, you have yeah. a, a mid to high 80s sinker. That was yeah. what you were really good at. Yeah, I mean, I had to make it move because I didn't throw very hard. Mm-hmm. Does right? knuckleball have a place in the game anymore? It does. We actually have a guy on our team right now that is featuring a knuckleball. No kidding? The first knuckleball I've ever coached now i did watch a documentary on that knuckleball guy and it showed him in like five apartments in within a year's time frame like he was going was all his, these do you remember his name no it's on netflix or something it, okay. he was one of the it was recent you know of kind of recent but it was his, his name was mike tyson brenton <laughs> <laughs> he had both Any, ears right anywho so kirk you go on from the astros to the oakland a's for a couple years mm-hmm. uh to the reds for a year then to oakland in 08 retired in 2009 after seven seasons uh, one of the questions for athletes, uh, some of us not, some of us have a small inkling of how that works, but what does it feel like to walk away from the game playing wise? Is that, it's tough. Was that tough for you? It, it wasn't. I mean, we, uh, my wife and I, we had Brady w- was born in 2007. So he was, he would be about three years old when we, des- when I decided to hang it up and, and my wife was pregnant, uh, with our, with our second Emery. And it was kind of, I needed shoulder and elbow surgery, and it was kind of, I think I was 30 at the time. Kind of mentally, I was like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I got this in me anymore. Yeah. And so the injury kind of was like, I got to rehab for a year and a half, and I was, I was ready to be done. Mm-hmm. You know, just mentally, I was just ready to be done, and I wasn't ready to rehab. So I said, let's sure. turn it over to the next chapter. I knew I wanted to get into coaching. So, but it actually, it's kind of surreal. You look back, and you're like, I can't believe I did that. Did that right. coaching uh, aspect come from just the time with your dad, like the way mm-hmm. that he was able to bring so much into your life and no coach doubt. you? Was it like kind of a testament? I know that you were close to him and I heard yeah. some things. So Yeah, no doubt. Him and Coach Hort, because I've had great coaches, you know, Lee, even all the way down to Lee Williams, who my dad also played with at Cerritos College. Mm-hmm. He coached me from when I was 13 to probably 16. And that's kind of where, where it really started. Mm-hmm. Great coach there. And then Coach Horton. You know, in college baseball, and, right. and Dave Serrano was my pitching coach. Rick Vanderhook was the hitting guy. We had a great staff, and um, yeah, I knew it. Was, and I loved my time in, in college, so it was one of those deals where it's like, okay, I love baseball. Now I want to kind of give back to the game, yeah, and, and do it. I didn't want to do professional baseball because I just felt like you don't have as much impact. Mm-hmm. So college was always, no doubt, was going to be where I wanted to land. You think- before we jump into the college real mm-hmm. quick, though, we, we stepped over one little quick note that's worth mentioning. <clears throat> when, you were at the, when you were at the A's, you were part of the, the, the team that was featured on a, on a book uh, in a movie yeah. called Moneyball. So you actually played for Billy Bean. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about Billy Bean a little bit and how he was to you? Yeah, he's... Um, like you said, that book was super cool, and to be in that book was awesome. It's you know just kind of gives a synopsis of how Oakland tries to stay relevant with a with a low low payroll. So, um, and then getting to meet him when I got traded over there, and, and getting to meet him, and you know he was he's a very intense, very competitive guy. You know, like we'd be out on the field, and he'd be in the weight room running on the treadmill, and he wouldn't <laughs> even want to listen to the game. Really? You know, because he'd get all he'd get bent out of shape of why this guy was pitching or if he didn't pitch right. well. So 
Um, but he was super cool in the locker room and, and, um, but he was really good at what he did, you know, and, yeah. and what he does you yeah. know, for them, them to stay relevant all these years with a really low payroll. Still is, close with him. Um, I'll, you know, check in with him every once in a while. David Forrest is the other, he was the assistant GM. It was mm-hmm. Billy was the GM. He was the assistant GM. David kind of runs the day to day now right. as kind of the main GM. So every once in a while, obviously still check in with a lot of those guys in Oakland and, um, actually Steve Vucinich, the clubhouse manager, right. probably the best clubhouse manager that, that I ever had actually is retiring this year. Uh, What's the clubhouse manager do? Well, he's, he runs everything. Yeah. You know, he makes sure that, you know, whether it be the food and then he's got, you know, all of his people underneath him in terms of all the laundry. Um, but he makes sure that, you know, equipment, anything and everything like he's literally the do it all. Yeah. You know, and he's been doing it for 40 years and yeah. He's he was he he was awesome. Is Billy Bean as handsome in person as he's portrayed in the movie by chance? He's a good looking gentleman. Good? Yes. Okay, good, good. He's not Brad Pitt. Let me but. ask a question on that because now you're in it and now you're into recruiting and all this stuff and and the you know MLB and college are different. Is we got too many stats floating around? I mean, you you were you were in that thing and it's like, did this change the game? Because now yeah. we're looking at all these stats and we're just not really seeing athletic ability with yeah. you know. Yeah, and I think we went to the Ranger game for my daughter's birthday two nights ago, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's all the jumbo, all the big screens, and there's all these, you know, whether it be, no, they don't have the batting average next to the player anymore. It's their on-base OPS, mm-hmm. on-base on plus slugging, you're right? Because that, that number's bigger because there's, you know, everyone's hitting between 200 and 240 nowadays. OPS. Is that a right? song by Naughty by Nature? <laughs> what was OPS? <laughs> On base plus slugging. I think that's OPP. I know what that was. I was trying not to go to the younger audience with this. But yeah, but I but I agree with you. I think the game has changed. You know, there it has gone pretty analytical. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with with numbers and what what creates wins and what creates value. And I think we've lost a little bit of, you know, uh, what what the game of baseball is meant to be played and what it's look looks like and is the way it's supposed to be played. Yeah, it's um, tough for those stats to kind of show like your no hitter. What was going on in that game? Right. You know, where you had some guys' minds which, which like we're celebrating a victory. Who cares, right? right? And then there are other guys who are like so focused on the stats. That it's like stats. I just want to make the stat. You know Correct. that kind of thing. Yeah. So, there's people in the front office. That's all they care about is the the numbers, the stats, and yeah. I mean, baseball is not just numbers and stats. It's about, well, you, you got to score more than the other team. Yeah. How are we going to do that? Yeah. You know, and they guys can hit 200, but if they hit 40 home runs, they bring value. I'm like, well, yeah, they hit 40. I'd rather have a guy that hits 285 with 25 homers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and does the little things than a guy that just That's very all or nothing. Billy Bean-esque right yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you finished playing. After a really incredible career, we all believe that to be true. I hope you feel the same because that's you did some really cool stuff. You go on to Cal State Fulcher and coach in 2011. Then at 12, you become the pitching coach. Um, then you get a call from a guy by the name of Jim Schlossnagel mm-hmm. uh, to come over. How did you know Jim? How did that happen? And how did the, how did that whole thing transition in you coming to TCU? Yeah, so I was at Cal State Fullerton. First of all, had to finish my degree which I was 30 years old and sitting in the back of a history 110A class. And we've all been there. I know they're like, who's the creepy old dude in the back? (laughs) You know, so that was fun at 30 with two kids finishing school. (laughs) Yeah. After Uh, a pro baseball career. Way better student while I was 30 than when I was 18. I'll tell you way better. Yeah. You know, I was closer in age to the professor than Mm -hmm. the kids in the class. So it was like him and I like saw eye to eye more or him and yeah, I saw more eye to eye than probably anybody else in the room. So, 
Um, but but yeah, so started there as an undergrad assistant and then got the pitching coach job the very next year, which was phenomenal. It's very tough to get into a full-time position as, as a college baseball coach. Very difficult. So I got super lucky to get in. And then, yeah, after the first year, um, Cal State Fullerton and TCU had been playing. Uh, we came out, I think, my undergrad assistant year, and then they came to us uh, my first year as pitching coach at Fullerton. And so he just knew me from across the field, and he knew uh, my pitching coach back when I played at Fullerton, Dave Serrano. And so he kind of reached out to Dave and Coach Horton and said, hey, who should I hire? And they both, you know, recommended me, and that's when he gave me a call. And so they were out playing UCLA in a super regional, and he's like, hey, I just you hear our doorbell going yeah, off. Pardon yeah. us. No worries. <laughs> Merry, um, Merry Christmas, Kirk. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he, um, so he gave me a call. He's like, Hey, why don't you come and meet me for dinner? You know, on Thursday night before we play UCLA Yeah. on, on, in the super regionals. Cause I'm going to lose our pitching coach to Randy Maisie to West mm-hmm. Virginia. And I'm like, sure, whatever I'll go. Like, I'm not going to leave my alma mater. My whole family lives in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm not, but I'll take a free dinner at Outback. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when, went to Outback and he's like, why don't you just, if we, if we ended up, losing this series why don't you come out on tuesday and just check the place out yeah i'm like well i remember del frisco's because when we played here two years ago in in fort worth we went to del frisco's my wife and i didn't so i'm like well if if you take me to del frisco's i'll come out so he's like done so tuesday came out and they lost and then came out on tuesday went to del frisco's and I was guys drive around like kind of specking it out. Like, could we live here? Kind of thing. Like it kind of felt like it was coming. The food was that good, I guess. Well, they're probably still feeding off the slaughter from the stock show at that (laughs) time. (laughs) Possibly. But yeah, they took us, they were really good, you know, in terms of recruiting me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Chris Del Conte, they had breakfast at Colonial. They knew I loved golf. So we had breakfast at Colonial. Um, They took me. The funny story was, is we were at breakfast and we were supposed to go look at three houses. Because that's how advanced they were in terms of like recruiting. Wow. They're like, "Hey, yeah. this is what you can get in, These in are Texas." Professional rush chairman. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Like this house, you can get in Texas. Like in California, that house yeah. is like four million dollars. Yeah. You can't buy Shanty. it, right? Yeah. So um, the funny thing was, is we were sitting at breakfast, and then Del Conte kind of got up. He's like, "I got to go. I got to go. You know, pick up the house. I got somebody coming over to check it out." Mm. It was me. Oh, nice. <laughs> so we actually, after having breakfast with the guy, we went into his house, and I checked out his tie closet and oh yeah you know kind of snooping around you, it was pretty huh? fun it's like man i could live in the place yes. that this guy did you open in. the door and some doves exactly. sprung out <laughs> exactly. and a, and a deer yeah. ran across the how many yard? silk robes were hanging in that closet yeah there was a lot a lot mm-hmm. of purple oh yeah mm-hmm. his yeah. tie collection was very very mm-hmm. impressive somebody else has that yeah and you were sold you were sold by this i mean i assume you're no like doubt. wow like, this is great okay. i can like that's my job like a mile away yeah like living on stadium drive and so we bought the house and it was I was totally in. I didn't want to let that onto my wife. I wanted her to be like in yeah. too. And so was we that hard? Was she good? Well, we were flying home and we were kind of probably over New Mexico or somewhere on the way back west. And she Area looked, 51. Yeah. She looked over at me and she goes, you're, you're an idiot if you don't take this job. I'm like, really? Oh, yeah. Done. So we landed and called back. So and you're actually here because of your wife. Absolutely. That is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, Most great things happen in my life because of her. So, yes. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Great story. For sure. Um, you arrive in 2012 and begin the, your, your career here as a pitching coach. Incidentally, the ERAs in the college world series for the Horn Frogs had begun about that time and have gone steadily upward and, and consistent. You are a, you are a pitching coach guru, in my opinion, 
some of the players you've coached at TCU, some significant names and mm-hmm. gone to the league. Can we can you name a few of the guys you're most proud of or people that you really resonate with still that were yeah, your I mean, protégés? There's a ton of guys. You know, the, that first group, though, was pretty special because, you know, you come here and the first year actually wasn't very fun. We went like 30 and 29. Mm. Like, that wasn't fun at all. I'm like, what did I get myself into? Mm. Right? Uh, but then after that, going to four straight College World Series, I mean, you, you know, you, like Brian Howard, for example, was a freshman in 2014, and all he knows is four years and four World Series. Like, that's unheard of. Like, he's yeah. living in La La That's Land. unusual, Britton. Yeah. I, hey, I do understand that kind of success, not from personal, but from just outside. Yeah. Is it harder recruiting? You know, you think about it. These guys are going straight to the pros. Like, you, you, that is a heck of – you talk about being a rush chairman – You. Is that, I mean, that's got to be damn near impossible to recruit into a college system than these guys who are probably getting looks from all the yeah. flashy money and all that stuff, you know? Yeah, the recruiting process is different. Like, think about if, you know, Coach Patterson had to deal with an NFL draft, right? Like, usually if you get a signed class, you know they're showing up to campus, right? There's no draft that can take them away, you know? So with, with baseball, you got to be careful who you recruit because if you recruit all the guys that are super talented, which you want, Major League Baseball also wants those guys. So you can't have a full recruiting class of guys that you are, you have a 50-50 chance of landing, right? Is that you, where some of that non-stat stuff comes in? Yeah. When you start really seeing those kids' personalities. For and sure. And what of, and what they value, right? Like yes. there's a lot of kids that, yeah, I just, I mean, it's all about Major League Baseball. Like they could care less about school. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let me, oh, I'll sign for $200,000 and give up my, you know, yeah. going to college and that life, right? Yeah. Like for me, there's no dollar that you could give give me personally or or the younger me have taken me away from what I was able to learn and go through for sure. four years of school, yeah. you know, but everybody's different. And so, uh, but major league baseball is recruiting the same kid that we have committed to us. So we have to re-recruit them, you know, make sure they end up on campus. And so we've, we've gotten kind of smoked in the draft in, in, in some years, you know, but then for every, you know, Shane Boz who just made his major league debut with, with Tampa Bay and is doing really good. He was committed to us. We have, I mean, we probably have in that 2000, I think it was 17 class. We had our top four recruits all sign, mm. right? Yeah. The shortstop that went in the second round, a third baseman that went in the second round and then two first round pitchers, you know, and that hurts. Yeah. Right. And that shows up in this 2018, 19 seasons when mm. we were not quite as good. Yeah. When you lose your, so it, it's a, it's a balancing act of making sure you get the best talent, but the best talent that you know is going to show up. Does telling a kid that being 30 years old and sitting in a Fullerton, California <laughs> school help with that to try to keep them in school a little bit? I think, well, I mean, when they get, you know, a million to two and a half million dollars, I don't, that's I don't, it. That would be a no. Nothing right? yeah. else matters. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a yeah. pretty tough, it's a pretty tough. Hey, sure. come and come and pay $30,000 to come to TCU and turn down 3 million. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, that's, and it's hard. What's yeah. the experience like uh, coaching in the college world series? Um, it's, I mean, it's like, it's like coach Disneyland, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like when you're walking around Disneyland as a kid and it's just like, this is awesome. It's like Mm -hmm. being a coach. It's like, this is why you work super hard the whole year. And then you just get to be the last eight, uh, eight teams standing and and play in Omaha. It's like, you know, Rosenblatt where I played when I, when I was a a player was super cool, uh, because of the history of it. Mm -hmm. But, but TD Ameritrade is the same thing to these guys because they don't, they didn't play in. Rosenblatt right Mm. so you know it's you get there it's just every single day that you're there it's just like 
it's it's the best it's the it's the best day of the year. Yeah, I was know? lucky enough to go to the Rosenblatt game. That was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Do you get this? Is I know you don't get tired of going, but do you get used to being there because you've been there so many times now? Is it almost like we're here because we're supposed to be here, or is it like this is no. brand new, special every time? It's special every time because there's always a uh, the story is always different every year. You know of, of getting there. Best game in the pros for you or College World Series being a coach, which is which ranks higher. Or you can say tie if it's no, too I'd, hard. I'd, I'd, I'd probably still say, you know, best game pitching in the big leagues. Yeah. I mean, that's tough to beat. Yeah. You know, no but, but now, you know, may, maybe being a head coach and getting back there might be a little bit different. Sure. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, all, all, all things in Omaha are, are amazing. Back to the uniform thing, because we did hear <laughs> that you were, you only wear the shirt at, yeah. uh, at, when you go to the World Series, if you do, mm-hmm. and, um, and then Team for picture, picture day. day, but not in there. Why in baseball do we have guys wearing the entire uniform? We think we thought about what if Coach P was to that's put what on I'm saying tr- the shoulder pads, helmet as a coach. It doesn't. What, if our, swimming, what if our swimming and diving coach? <laughs> what was he? What, what if he's about in the a speedo? coach? I mean, just think of the uniform possibilities that could exist. I would love this. to see Coach Coach P on the sidelines this weekend. And yes, we just all full would. That would be legit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that would be awesome. But you don't don the jersey, right? I don't. You don the pants and I'm more cleats. of like a I'm more of like a hybrid. Well, I'm I'm more comfortable, you know. Like okay. I got my rainbow flip flops on currently. Yes, okay. yes. You know, yeah. That's, oh, and with pants, yeah, yeah, for with sure. pants. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's like why bend down and tie your shoes when I can throw on mm-hmm. my flip flops? Yes, it's, it's raining outside. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Right, but Stirrups, I'm more. That, I'm more of com- I'm I'm more comfortable. Right, so I'm gonna. I don't even wear a belt. Mm. I don't wear a belt. Under my uniform, okay, right, because I have my 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 top it's on there. You yeah. can't even it's very see my California belt. of you. Yes, do some right. coaches take that? We did have a guy that we coach with in little league, and he wore the full uniform. Do some coaches take it to even a higher level with maybe a cup for coaching or something with protective yeah, a cup gear? check? Yeah. Well, actually, Jim Jim Leland, <laughs> who was the manager for many teams, but he actually wore his metal spikes. Like he took it. <laughs> That to that extent, he I went can, metal spikes, and then he'd rip down heaters in the dugout. Well, then what? What is like? An in, but the injury factor on walking on a slick floor with yeah. those metal spikes. I've got to think as an older gentleman. Yeah, you know that's not what a player is probably like. Whoa, we got to be careful, guys. We got our spikes. We're walking on the slip floor, and then to have somebody voluntarily do that. Do is, that yeah, yeah, yeah. He just he's. I guess he was really concerned about his, as well. Oh, there. he'd rip down <laughs> heater after heater in the dugout. Just. Ripping down lung darts and yeah. got his metal spikes on. <laughs> While coaching, just say, hey, guys, do as yeah. I say, not as I do. All That's right? right. Listen, you got to get out there. That's yeah. right. And we've been building up with all of this to the, the pivotal, pivotal moment of this. Uh, you were named 2015 this year, three mm-hmm. months ago-ish, a little bit more, as the TCU head baseball coach. A huge deal. Everybody who knows you or knows of you was super happy this happened. Uh, Jeremiah Donati, the athletic director at TCU's, showing you the jersey what did this moment feel like and how did you how did we celebrate this yeah that was um that was a special probably 48 hours just kind of a whirlwind having a, a bunch of people reach out and congratulations and um press you know you always kind of think of as a coach okay if i ever get to be a head coach you know what's my you know what's my press conference going to be like and so yeah you know i didn't i really didn't write much down it was kind of like you know kind of i knew who i wanted to thank but mm-hmm. I wanted to be more from the heart and I didn't want it to be rehearsed and have it, you know, so it was more just kind of from the heart. And so that it was a lot of fun. You know, the one thing that, I, you know, when you're thinking about, it, I lost my dad back in, you know, 2020 in, in April. And so I always thought he'd be there. So that mm-hmm. was the one part that was 
super difficult in terms of like everything was exactly the way I thought it was going to be yeah. with the exception of that. Yeah. How did you, how did you get the news that you were the, you were the guy? Um, well, he, I did the interview and then, you know, he kind of looked at me and he goes, all right, you, can, can you go to dinner tonight at Mr. Bashini's house? Cause this is Jeremiah talking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause we're going to offer you the job. I said, yeah, I think I can make room for that in my schedule. <laughs> After this moment, <laughs> well, you go to Del Frisco's that night for dinner? No, we had Heim. Heim oh, barbecue. Wonderful. Yeah. So we went back to the house and, and had some friends over and. Did you and, check uh, with your wife first? Cause. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. She so, was probably there. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good. So we went back to the house and swam and had some Heim barbecue. Oh, that's and great. Yeah. My brother, uh, my brother was back home. Um, which I still give him kind of crap for. I'm like, you can't even make my press conference. Well, he's so, too busy doing something else. Don't you want to you know, so, talk about that? So we smoked a cigar over, over a FaceTime to, you oh, know, together. So we, yeah. the whole family was there and hanging out and yeah. it was fun. Well, congrats on that. That's a big deal for you. And it's a big deal for Fort Worth and obviously TCU. So that's, that's a big, awesome deal that happened for you. So thanks yeah, thank for, you. thanks for it. Um, so what's it like being around uh, 18 to 22 year olds, more or less on a daily basis as part of your livelihood? Is this, Stressful deal because I'm, yeah, I'm taking I'm drawing from the Coach Patterson uh, mantra that you know every day could be the worst day if you get a phone call in the middle of the night or yeah. you know, a big loss to perhaps T or SMU. Mm -hmm. But what is it like to depend on these kids uh, for, for your livelihood? Well, I think the the great part about it is we have awesome kids. You know, we're, we're recruiting and, and getting kids that are really awesome, awesome to be around, coming from great families and um, hard workers. You know do well in the classroom, but they're going to, they're going to mess up. I mean, think about when we were 18 to 21 years Why old. Why do you point that hand right at me? No, he you looked, at, he looked, at, yeah. looked <laughs> at me, pointed at you. Mm -hmm. So they're going to mess up, you you're know, you're right on. Though. I know I can, I'm a good evaluator of talent. <laughs> yeah. I kind of evaluate yeah. what's going on over here. Um, but yeah, they're going to mess up. So I think the good thing is, is I think enough, you know, respect and, and, uh, that they're not, they're not ashamed to, to, let you know when they do, yeah, you know, and so we hold them accountable, but at the same time, if they miss class, you know, they, they call and text and let me know instead of, Oh, he's not going to find out. Right. So having that kind of back and forth relationship yeah. to be able to, to be able to be around these guys on a daily beat, it keeps you young, but it also mm -hmm. gives you a lot of gray hair really fast. Is sure. what I'm finding out. Sure. Um, but I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun coming from the era that we did come from without these things attached to yeah. us all the time. You think it's harder to get through to them? You, you, I mean, are you seeing that or, or, or is it, I think it's easier it, actually. Yeah. Uh, because we don't, we don't allow them to have their phones kind of out in, in the locker room or at, you know, out of practice for sure. But yeah. in the locker room, just because we want these guys to actually be around each other and hang out and talk with one another instead yeah. of, you know, being on Snapchat or whatever yeah. they're TikTok, whatever they're doing. It's probably um, one of those welcomed Punish, not punishment, but welcome restrictions, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's actually, you know, the, these guys want to connect, you yeah. know, but a lot of times it's, you're so used to doing it on your phone. Mm -hmm. um, so they do a great job, whether it be in the weight room at the baseball field, connecting with one another yeah. and with everybody in our staff. So I yeah. think, I think that's the great thing about it is that it is different because, you know, you have more, you're connected to these guys. I mean, a ton, these guys are around each other all the time, mm -hmm. you know? So um, and sometimes without the phone, that's is when they have the, the most fun. And then they yeah. kind of, they look kind of get the phone back and they're like, man, it, right. I get more problems when I have my phone with me than when I don't, when I'm just being one of the guys and hanging yeah. out and being a, being a good teammate. Yeah. What's the best part of the job for you? Well, that's a good question. Best part of the job for me is, um, yeah, getting to set the temperature of the room. You know, that's probably my, my favorite part is 
is being able to, you know, the things that matter the most to, to me and my staff, being able to have that matter to the guys, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? And I think that's the funnest part is being able to, you know, connect with those guys and let them know this is what it's going to be like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and try and be exactly the same every single day. Are you a raw, raw, big time voice coach, motivational guy? Or are you more like a let the players do what you've been trained to do kind of guy? Probably a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think if you err on one, if you get too far on one side, I think you're leaving out this side. And if you get too far over sure. here, then I think you're, you know, so I don't yell a ton. So when I do yell, I think it's like has sure. a little bit more Oomph. power to it. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of like being a, a father really. I was about to say, as you were saying all that, I can only, I was just kind of, I've never seen a picture of your dad, but picturing your dad, like all the same things, right? It was probably, I mean, if we were to ask you right now, how did your dad coach you? You could probably say, just roll tape, rewind a minute or two. And I'll just tell you, you know, the same thing. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, you know, made the mistake and then, but would tell you how proud of he was of you. And then kind of after that, kind of talk about, okay, how can we get better? And then, you know, kind of those type of things. It's like, okay. Like these kids, you've heard the saying, they don't really care what you know until they know that you care. Yeah. Right. It's that's my big thing is like we got to have relationships with these kids because we're going to coach them. We're going to coach them hard, uh, but they, they got to know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's our ultimate goal is to know that our all the coaches, every all the support staff, the players need to know that we really value them. Yeah. You know, as them as human beings, as opposed mm-hmm. to if they can throw a curveball or hit one mm-hmm. and then all that stuff will take care of itself over time. It's just a matter of making sure that they know that, that they're valued more than just baseball. Sure. Hardest part of the job. Yeah, I guess probably um, decision fatigue. You know, yeah. I have to make a lot of decisions, which, you know, as an assistant coach, as a recruiting coordinator, you're making decisions on basically rec- who you're going to recruit. And then as a pitching coach, you know, just on, on, in terms of taking care of the pitchers, you know, now it's, you know, way more stuff off the field you know, decisions on the field, but way more decisions off the field. So mm-hmm. having to make those decisions, you know, it's awesome to be able to make those decisions, but yeah, that's probably the hardest part is just way more, way more things to be in charge of, which sure. it's been a lot of fun in terms of some of the things to be in charge of. Well, speaking of decisions and like going back to that pitch. So how does that happen? The guy, the coach tells the catcher what sign to call. And then do you have the decision ability to say like, could you have not thrown that sinker to Jeter? You said, I'm not throwing that. I'm going to throw a curve or something. Yeah. So we always have a scouting report prior to the game. So the catcher, you know, knows exactly what hitters weaknesses are, what they can and can't do. Then they have to know kind of what the pitcher can and can't do. But ultimately the the saying in, in professional baseball is it's ultimately you make the decision as the pitcher because the catchers, your stats don't go on the back of the catcher's baseball card. They yeah. go on the back of your baseball card. So ultimately you have to yeah. throw what you want to throw. So, okay. but if you have a really good rapport with your catcher, it kind of takes the decision making out of it. You trust him. You go with it. Brad Osmus, one of the best. Did he give you that sign? Oh, that yeah. sinker. Sinker in. Yeah. And you knew it. I knew it. What's that look like? The sinker in sign. It's a. It's a. The the pointer finger with a little twirl. Swirly. Yeah. Because <laughs> one is fastball. Sinker is just a little twirly one. Because gotcha. it just puts a little movement on there. Yeah, just a little movement. Fastball yeah. one. What's two? Two was curveball. Three was slider. Slider. Wiggle was changed for wiggle. Wait, I'm writing this down yeah. so I can watch it. It's like it. the no. universal <laughs> major league baseball sign. One is fastball, two's curve. But, but in, when co- I in college, you, you got to change it though, because you know, there's, there's a lot of people that are sitting. Cause as you saw with the Astros, like they cheated like openly, like at second base and like banging things like that's one thing. But if you get to second base 
and you can decipher what the pitch is. Like, I don't think that's cheating. Right. So in college baseball, it happens all the time, right? They're, you're always trying to like either pick the pitcher or pick signs from the catcher at first base or second base. Oh, that's interesting. So it's, and it's totally fine. So right? you don't mm-hmm. have the belt for bunt. Hat for no. hit and run, Mm-mm. skin on skin steel. That, I'm going to have to bring that up with that Coach Bo. Jack Ramaldo. What are you doing after Jack this? Jack Ramaldo taught me that. From- <laughs> I need you to come talk to Coach you know Bo and funny? maybe get hit, get, please, get your oh, signs with them. Please don't do that. <laughs> yes. So it was funny, though, when I asked you about that sinker, you looked at me in a way you were like, I knew it. Like you had something in your eye that was like, yep. this is the one. This is, and it worked, yeah. clearly. Well, it's the only way. It's the only way to get him out. You throw anything out, out over the plate, he's going to hammer you. Has the NIL situation affected you Positively, negatively, are you on board with all this? Yeah. Give me thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think it's awesome. I think players should be able to take advantage of, you know, uh, their name, their image, and their likeness. I Truly. think it's great. Um, I'm not sure how many of our guys are are dealing with it right now. I, I found out maybe like a week ago, like one of our guys has like a Chipotle thing where he gets like 15 meals for the year. And he's, already, he's already down to two. We don't even get that. <laughs> you know, so. Um, that guy's living large. Right. <laughs> but I'm hoping that, you know, it really... You know, with Fort Worth and a lot of the people that have, you know, graduated from here and even just local businesses to yes. help support, you know, our program and our programs at TCU, I think can make a huge difference in terms of us continuing to get great talent. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of things in the works right now to to make sure that we stay relevant in recruiting because that's what it comes down to. You, you, you're not a very good coach if you have bad players. Mm-hmm. So you better be really good at recruiting. Yeah. And so, you know, we're going up against the SEC. We're going up against all the, all the state, uh, you know, schools in our state. There's a lot of really great baseball schools. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if we're going to stay relevant, it's we got to make sure that we're able to uh, take the cost of TCU down as much as we possibly can because yeah. these kids are being able to go to these other state schools for, for nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult for us Truly. to get it to that. You were telling us off air before the show that you guaranteed that TCU would be in the College World Series. <laughs> do, you, do you want to speak to that a little more? Or did I catch that wrong? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I said that one. Brandy? <laughs> <laughs> no, Brandy Davidson in the house. In the yeah. house. <clears throat> well, as you know, baseball goes with nothing better than wine. Yeah. Your family, the Sarlos family, has a vineyard in California. Uh, your brother Keith runs this vineyard. Uh, can you tell us a little about the family story there? It was an apple orchard originally. Yeah, it was. So um, we, we grew up in Southern California in Long Beach. And then I think it was around my junior year of college. My dad's kind of goal was always to own a ranch. Mm. Right. His, his, his father always, he came from, his father came from Iowa. My mom's uh, family came from Minnesota. So a lot of kind of farm ranch uh, background. Yeah. And so my grandfather always wanted a ranch, but he worked until he was, you know, basically about 75 years old and then passed a little bit later on. So he never really got his ranch. So my dad always in his mind was like, I'm going to get a ranch at some, some point. So they bought a ranch my junior year of, of college and they'd kind of spend time up there in Santa Barbara and then back in Long Beach, kind of going back and forth. And then as soon as I got done playing in, in college, they're like, we're out of there. We're going yeah. up north. We're going up um, to Santa Barbara, just inland from Santa Barbara, where the ranch was located. And so they spent the first year, they had an apple orchard. My dad's like, Man, no it's, way. it sucks to farm apples. <laughs> like the apple market's in Japan yeah. or the Northwest. Like the apple market is not in San Inez or Solvang, California. And he's looking around. He's like, well, there's a lot of vineyards here. Let's. Let's plant a vineyard. So they ripped the apple orchard out, you know, that 17 acres of apples out, put in the the vineyard, had no idea what they were doing. Mm -hmm. But my dad's super smart, reads books, talks to people Mm -hmm. like a people person. He's like, 
I'm going to go ask all these other vineyards, like, you know, what's the pro, what's the con, like, what do yeah. I need to know? So I planted it and it really, it was just kind of for fun, right? He was going to sell about 99% of the grapes. Mm-hmm. It was a Syrah. Everything was Syrah, which there wasn't a, a lot of Syrah in, in that valley. Mm-hmm. So he was going to sell 99% of the grapes and keep, you know, 1% and just kind of do a family label. Yeah. And they did that the first two years. And then people were like, man, that's pretty good. Where can I buy it? And he's like, so he kept, you know, keeping a little bit more of a chunk of that, of that Syrah back for, for, um, family labels. And yeah. then ultimately, um, when my brother moved up there, shoot, I don't even know what year it was, probably 2004, maybe 2005. And, and that's where it really took off. My brother's kind of a marketing genius, mm-hmm. you know, Instagram and, and, and all that stuff. And he took over and then we bought a tasting room there. And then since then it's, it's taken off. My brother's done a great job with it. And now they have another hundred acres or so that they have more varietal. So it's been, it's been awesome. My brother kills it. He does a great job with, you know, the labels and just telling the family story. Yeah. You know, I think that's the cool part that people, you know, really like understand and like is, you know, it's a story. It's not just a label, it's a story, you know, and then kind of the vibe of the tasting room is if Mm -hmm. like, if you want to talk about like notes and what you're, you know, the smell, my brother's like, Leave. like no you mm-hmm. know way more about wine Tell than stories. i do please leave yeah. like yeah. I, you know it's not like it's kind of a opposite of probably most wineries in terms sure. of our tasting rooms in terms terms of it's actually less a, statistical yeah. yes we might say yes it's actually yes. a wonderful wine so your brother's doing a great job but yeah. you obviously know that people can find you find that at sarlos uh sarlos and sons.com, sarlos and sons. Yeah. com. very cool yeah, All right. there's a lot of people that have I, I i haven't even drank either of these bottles like i'm usually the last one to like a lot of the friends are like, Hey, have you had, had this one? I'm like, I actually haven't had it. Yeah. You know, yeah. are you a wine guy or no? I like wine. Yeah, for sure. You know, but yeah, it's, I think I, I got to get on my brother to have him send me a little bit, send me more bottles. So I don't have to drink my friends. Yeah. Well, our, <laughs> well, our friend, Charlie Scholes is responsible Charlie. for uh, providing that for the show today. So thank you, Charlie. He, he's had a few bottles. He says, and he claims it's really good as well. I believe him. Yeah. So back when I saw him, he might've had a bottle <laughs> on him at the time, but the Sarlos name, uh, yeah. is, that, is that a uh, Fredericksburg name or is it Iowa? What are we talking about? This is Dutch. a Dutch. Yeah. So the Netherlands, we, yep. we, we researched, uh, that's where it's a very com not a common, but more common than most places on earth. Mm-hmm. So, and also there's a wolf or yeah. a type of dog, maybe a dog breed is a better word, a Sarlos dog yeah, breed. Yeah, the wolfhound. Are you familiar with this? Not really. I know it's on that label. You don't own a Sarlos wolfhound or? Nope, I got the old golden retriever. Oh, very yeah. nice. Um. We are grateful you came by today. Yeah, super thanks. Before we go, we always ask our guests, uh, aside from familial affairs, mm-hmm. wife, kids, marriage, all that stuff that's obviously important, what's the best day of your whole life? Ooh, best day of my whole life. Probably, I would say there's probably getting the phone call that says I was going to go to the big leagues. Yeah. That was pretty, like, and it was actually two days before my wedding. Oh, Wow which I was getting married on a double a all-star break, which I got it cleared with the Astros. Mm-hmm. And so I was getting married on a Sunday in double a all-star break and they called me on Friday and they're like, Hey, can you be in Milwaukee? Cause I was getting married in Seattle where my wife's from. They're like, Hey, can you be in Milwaukee on Monday? I'm like, why Milwaukee? Really? Yeah. He's like, well, we're playing the brewers and we need you to start on Tuesday. So I got married on Sunday and then pitching the big leagues debut on Tuesday. And it was right before the wedding? Right after. So oh, right Sunday after. wedding, Monday, like basically the whole wedding party traveled to Milwaukee on Monday with us. Oh, wow. So yeah, the old Tuesday, you know, honeymoon in Milwaukee, like everyone <laughs> dreams about. Yeah. Were you 
uh, additionally nervous for your own wedding because of this? Or are you just like, oh, this is the best day ever because I have this and another big, big moment in my life coming in two days? That's yeah. I think I was, yeah, like usually people, you know, I'm getting married, a little bit of nerves. It's like, this is, I'm thinking about Tuesday and my nerves. Like yeah. <laughs> Sunday was a breeze. Sure. Yeah. But Tuesday was like, holy cow, I can't believe. So I'm really doing this. Okay. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that was cool. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing your life with us. We're grateful you're here again. Uh, we wish you luck this year. We know yeah. you're, you're going to do good things because you've done it already. You've proven yourself. Uh, we appreciate you guys, uh, everybody tuning in. You can check us out on, on rockstomediahouse.com or Fortitude FW on Twitter. Additionally, on Fort Worth Inc. Uh, website on our sponsors. Uh, Kirk Sarlos, TCU head baseball coach. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you've helped deciphering those signs. We'll get it out there this spring. Might have to have you in the dugout. Oh, thank you.